Today is Palm Sunday, and I don't know if you've ever thought about the significance of why we celebrate every year Palm Sunday. I love talking to young kids, and I remember on an occasion asking them, hey, what is Palm Sunday? Well, it's kind of a, it's kind of a warm-up to Easter. No, not really. It's not a, let's try it and see if we can figure out what we're going to do on Easter, and we're going to have a day before. In fact, in Scripture, they call the events of this day, the triumphal entry. And just in case you wondered how significant it is, it is found in four different gospel accounts. It's found in John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. It's found in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. It's found in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. And today we're going to be looking at it in Luke's version uh, chapter 19, verses 28 to 40. So if you want to learn or turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 19, we're going to be looking at Luke's version. It doesn't mean that Luke's is any better. It's a little bit longer by one verse than the John or the Matthew and Mark account. John's account is actually the shortest, but it's the content of what is going on. So let me ask you this question. Do you like going to parades? I mean, are parades kind of your thing? I can remember early on when our kids were young, we, look at, we took them to Disney. And we were at Disney, and I'm telling you, our kids' eyes were aglow. And it would be an absolute fib if I didn't tell you that I was pretty jacked up myself about the whole thing. And I don't know how it is, but we were standing at a strategic location, and they came to us and they said, would you like to be in the parade? And I'm thinking, yeah, hello, pre-cell phones, pre-recorded or anything like that. And I'm not kidding you. I am so thankful that Julie and Bethany are in Dallas uh, for wedding showers. We got two family weddings coming up. And so they're at, at, uh, at showers up there. But they hand us these tutus that we're to wear. And Julie and Bethany put theirs on, and Thompson's looking at me like going, Dad, really? And I said, man, let's just go with it, brother. I mean, we were just so caught up in the moment. It was amazing. And I know we have a picture of that somewhere, but I, upon reflection this morning, I thought, if I showed you a picture of me with a tutu, it would probably wreck you. You would not gather much out of the sermon today because you would be thinking uh, about that image. And so someday when totally unrelated, I'll show you the picture and you can laugh your head off. But I Google searched parades and I found that the seven most incredible parades on the planet are the Edinburgh Torchlight Procession out of Scotland, the India's Holy Festival, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, the Sri Lanka's Eshla uh, Perenna, the Mardi Gras New Orleans, and the Dublin, Ireland St. Patrick's Parade. Those are the big daddies. But I also found that in Pekin, Indiana, they have been celebrating a 4th of July parade that first took place in 1830. So these folks have, uh, they've been doing this parade thing for a long time. But thousands of years ago, on Palm Sunday, 
the most significant parade on the planet took place. We have no idea how many people were there. We know really some pretty random kind of facts about the event. I mean, Jesus tells his disciples to do something that just seems weird. Go and find a donkey and this colt and bring it to me and I'm going to ride in. And then people began to cry out, Hosanna, which is what we sang today. And that's, that's really kind of about what we know about it. But what was significant about this event and what is significant for us is it was the world at that time's invitation to Jesus to welcome him as king. And Palm Sunday is literally our opportunity to say, King of kings and Lord of lords, we welcome you. And my hope and prayer is that every one of you here this morning have welcomed Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But like so many parades, there's a whole lot of participants and there are, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of, of people that are the audience, but there are very few participants. And there'll be probably a lot of people this week that will participate in a lot of Easter stuff but they really don't know the substance behind it, that we are welcoming the King of kings and the lords of lords. So by now, you should have gotten to Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. Let me read it for us. When he, Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said, go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying this? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owner said to them, why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their robes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their robes on the road. Now, he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen. The king who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed, is the blessed one. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples, he answered. I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. You remember what took place. Jesus was about to enter Jerusalem for the final time. And upon nearing the city, he sends two of his disciples with instructions to get this donkey. So when they bring the donkey back to Jesus, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 30, 35, it says they helped Jesus get on it. And then they began to spread out their clothes kind of as a red carpet for Jesus to enter in Jerusalem. 
And then in verses 37 and 38 describes what happened. It says, now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with the loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. The king who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one, peace in heaven and glory in the highest earth. Now someday, I hope that you have an opportunity to go to the Holy Lands because this sounds like it's such a distance and far space. But you can literally go to Bethany, although Bethany is, uh, is held as an Arab city. And so safety is a concern there. But having been there, literally, you top the hill and you're looking down onto the city of Jerusalem. Right now, if you read about history, there's a huge wall to keep the people on one side from going into the other side. But as you top the hill, you're on the Mount of Olives and you're looking down at the city of David, Jerusalem, and you can just imagine Jesus coming down and all of this playing, playing out. But what was happening didn't last very long because the, soon, the crowd soon fades and the rally around Jesus begins to, to change. But what's so tragic is the religious guys, the people that should have known better, they tell Jesus, hey, your disciples, they need to get over this, man. They need to quit that. To which Jesus says, if they don't cry out, the stones themselves would cry out. So what is it that Jesus is telling them? What is Jesus saying to these Pharisees, to these religious leaders when they're going, hey, tell your disciples to chill out a little bit. They're getting a little too rambunctious here. And when you look at Scripture, you find out very clear that all throughout the Old Testament, God is promising that at a point in time that God is going to send a king. And this is the fulfillment of that promise that was made years and years and years before. And what I want to suggest to you this morning that there are three amazing facts about Palm Sunday. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you what they are. Number one, God's king has come to earth in Jesus Christ. Secondly, God's king will come again to earth and that is Jesus Christ. And God's king has already begun to reign. That's our king, our Lord, Jesus Christ. He has come. He will come again. And he reigns now. First of all, God's king has come to earth. God's plan for the ages has revolved around King Jesus coming. He promised that a king was coming all the way back in the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, for those of you who are reading the Bible through, you're probably getting close to Numbers if you've not already passed it by now. But in the book of Numbers, chapter 24, verses 17 and 19, 17 and 19 of Numbers chapter 24, the 12 tribes are on their way to Egypt, and here's what Here's what we read in scripture. A star will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel. One who comes from Jacob will rule. And the prophecy clearly speaks of a scepter and a power. 
And during the centuries, as God's chosen people were moving from here to there, this promise was repeated and enlarged and repeated and enlarged. The chosen people knew that this king was going to come and this king was going to come and he was going to have an everlasting kingdom. And he was going to rule not only over the Jews, but over everyone, the Jews and the Gentiles, which includes all of us. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And what all of these people knew was that he was going to come and he was going to bring peace and he was going to bring blessing. And for every one of these Jewish people who knew the, the Old Testament scriptures, I mean, there was excitement. So who was going to come? Who was going to come? And the answer is this, the one who rode into Jerusalem on that spring day was the one. And this is the part that we have such a difficult time with. Because if you are a devout Jew, you've memorized the Old Testament. So if you, if you want to, turn with me to Zechariah. You say, where in the world is Zechariah? It's the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah, Malachi, Zephaniah, you know, right in there. Zechariah, five centuries, 500 years before Jesus is born, the prophet Zechariah described Jesus' entry into Jerusalem in minute detail. Now listen to what it says in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, which is interesting. Even today, as we talk to our Jewish friends, how do you all miss this? What more detail do you need? Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Daughter Zion is the Jewish people. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foil of a donkey. I mean, there it is. 500 years before Jesus is born. How in the world do they miss this? But they do. Zechariah's statement was one of many that Jesus is God's king, as well as a great prophet and as a priest. And as you read the story of Jesus, our Jewish friends, lovers of the Old Testament, ought to realize what's happening. I mean, he was born a king. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2, you remember the wise men. The wise men get it. The wise men come in Matthew 2 and verse 2. They say, where is he who, was, who has been born? King of the Jews. How do they know that? Evidently, they're reading their their Old Testament much better than the Jewish people. He was born a king, but secondly, he lived with the kingdom in mind. Jesus lived his entire 33 years with this kingdom in mind. He preached that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. In fact, when he was, when he was speaking to Nicodemus, you remember Nicodemus coming to him and says, hey, how shall I find eternal life? He says, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John chapter 3 and verse 3. Jesus is referencing this kingdom that will come. 
So he's born a king, he lived with the kingdom in mind, and then he dies as a king. Now you say, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. Jesus is crucified, but he dies a king. You say, well, how do you know that? Check it out. The Roman governor, Pilate, asked Jesus at his trial. You, you read it. He says in Luke chapter 23 and verse 3, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, you have said it. Why in the world would Pilate ask Jesus if he were the king of the Jews if he didn't have some kind of indication in his own heart and his mind that Jesus was a king? At the governor's orders, the governor's orders, his cross bore this inscription, and we read from Scripture that it was in multiple languages so that everybody could understand it. And here's what was on Jesus' cross when he's crucified. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The Jewish people don't recognize it. And a guy that's not even a Jewish person, he recognizes it. Jesus is the king that was to come. But secondly, Jesus is the king. Jesus is God's king who is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And what I want to tell you is we live in an amazing time. By the way, I hear people all the time say, oh, my goodness, you know, we are in the end times. Just to stress you out a little bit, everybody since Jesus left had been saying, hey, we're in the end times. And they're all right. Because we're in the end times and so is every generation after us unless Jesus comes. And we always say this, oh, it's really bad. He's coming now. But rather than worried about how bad it is, let's just get excited because our king is coming back. And man, I'm telling you what, when he comes back the next time, it's a different deal. In Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, Acts 17, 30 and 31, it says, now God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. Who is that man that he has appointed? God's son, Jesus, is that appointed judge. And then the final statement, he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising from the dead. Acts chapter 17. The early church understood that Jesus, he came, but he was going to come again and what we need to be about is about telling our friends and our loved one about who Jesus is and what he's done. It's heartbreaking to come, come into contact with people that say, well, I just, I just can't share with anybody about my faith. I can't talk to them about Jesus. Listen, if they're going to be separated eternally from Jesus, can I just tell you, just deal with it. Your embarrassment could be their eternal separation from God. And all the Lord asks us to do is to be faithful, to share a word. He's the one that's going to convict their heart and their mind. Again and again, Scripture speaks of the king's return. It's the subject of Psalm chapter 2. The king's return is spoken about 
promised by the angels in Acts 1. Jesus spoke about his own return in John chapter 14. The New Testament contains more than 300 references to his second coming. So why do we as believers not take that more seriously, more soberly, and tell other people about it? So you're the ones that are here today. Let me ask you, will he be your savior when he comes? Have you given your life to Jesus yourself? In Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, we read these words. The Bible warns us plainly. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're all going to confess him. We're all going to acknowledge him. The question is, will we acknowledge him as our Savior and Lord or as someone that we didn't know? He came. He's coming again. And his reign has already begun. His reign has already become. He is so powerful. He is so extraordinary that even before he returns back to earth, his reign is already begun. Jesus and many, many others after him spoke of the kingdom more than 125 times in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. We read, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, look here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is among you. What does Jesus mean? He means that the kingdom of God is already coming. People are already beginning to give their lives to him. And that's what the kingdom of God is. And we are about calling people to a faith, to a relationship with Jesus Christ. What does it mean? What does it mean to be in Christ, invisible yet mighty kingdom today? What does that mean? What does it mean for us to live in his kingdom now before he comes? Here's what it means. It means forgiveness of sins and a newfound peace with God. It means that we have an assurance of a home in heaven. It means being born again and receiving a new heart and a mind. It means strength. It means strength as the apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It means a special calling upon us to be ambassadors of Christ for the gospel. It means peace and comfort. If you and I are in Christ's kingdom, if we are experiencing Christ's kingdom now, you know that nothing nor anyone can separate us from the love of God. And that's why Holy Week is amazing. We are on this Sunday through next Sunday, we are welcoming the king into our life. 
We are acknowledging that he has come, that he will come again, and that he reigns in our life now. And the question is, what difference does it make? There is no other kingdom like it. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7. The word of God says, not David Smith, the word of God says in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness for now, from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord's hosts will accomplish this. So let me ask you today, do you know the king? Have you given your life to King Jesus? Because Easter is much more than egg hunts. It's much more than dressing up. It's much more than having a perfect attendance. I've never missed Easter in my life. Easter is about acknowledging that he is your Lord and your Savior and your King. So this morning, we're going to give you that opportunity. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, then we invite you to do that today. Our staff will be down front. I'll be down front. We're here to pray with you. As we told you last week, this, this, uh, these steps are open for you to pray. And maybe today you need to come and you need to pray for a family member of yours, that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. We often talk about praying according to God's will. God's will says it is his will that none perish, but all come to repentance. It's God's will that every one of your family members that don't know him would come to know Jesus as a personal savior. So I invite you to come and pray for them. Pray with me. Father. I thank you that you provide a very clear picture that Jesus is this king that we're looking for. I mean, all the way back in Zechariah, you tell down to the detail. He's going to be riding on a, on a donkey. And God, I pray today that all of us here know you but God this is not something that we selfishly hold on to because of your abundant goodness to us it ought to be something God that we are sharing with others so this morning Lord your invitation not mine your invitation to us is to come to you to receive you to accept you. So, Father, guide us during this response time. It literally has eternal implications. It's in your name that I pray.